So this is part four of our series, We Endure. And today I have the unenviable task of offering you the most encouraging message that you did not ask for. Nobody in their right minds would ask for today's message. What we want to believe about Jesus is that Jesus only promises us good things. We want to believe about Jesus is that, is that Jesus promised us uh, riches and Instagram fame. That Jesus promised us that our sump pumps would never uh, go out and our basements would never flood. We want to believe about Jesus that he promised us that we would never bite into a pizza roll before it was finished cooling and scald the roof of our mouth. Why do they take so long to cool down? We, we want to believe about Jesus that he only promises us good things. But he, he didn't promise us all of those things. In fact, he didn't promise us any of those things. In fact, what Jesus did promise us is pretty much the opposite of that one. From John 15, Jesus promised us that if the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. He promised us in that same passage, John 15, that if they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. Today, we're talking about enduring in opposition, enduring in resistance, enduring even in persecution. Uh, as we jump into the message uh, today, I, I want us to be uh, aware of, of some things, though. I want us to be uh, aware that this is a message that you didn't ask for, but it is, at the end of the day, if you'll stick with us for long enough, it's an encouraging message nonetheless. Um, let's jump into today's passage. We're continuing on in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse 12, where Peter tells the church then, and he tells all of us the church today, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. And I want to pause right there, and I just want to highlight um, that he says, don't be surprised don't think that it's strange, this fire or fiery ordeal. In a sense, he's saying, listen, don't panic when you face opposition for your faith. In fact, opposite of that, you should panic when you don't face opposition for your faith. Don't be surprised. Don't think that it's strange. You know, the, the fiery ordeal that Peter mentions here in the opening in verse 12, uh, a lot of people read that passage and they, um, they get images of Nero, the emperor of Rome, and there was this, uh, this story kind of circulating uh, after this was written that, uh, that, that Nero as an emperor would dip Christians in oil and he would tie them up to trees and he would use them as torches for like his, his garden parties. And, and that fiery ordeal kind of brings to mind that language. And, and I want to highlight something. That, that story is probably grounded more in legend than fact. And I just, as Christians, we have to have like the honesty and integrity to like name that. Um, but, but there's this still the, the fact, though, that Nero was, by most accounts, a pretty despicable human being, a person. Uh, we talked about the, the, the Rome burning to the ground only a couple years, historically, after this letter was written by Peter, a letter that was written from Rome itself. Um, and whether or not Nero was the one who started that fire and, and blamed Christians, 
again, we, we can't 100% be sure, but what we do know is, is that on top of the ashes and on top of the rubble of the city of Rome, two-thirds of it that burned down in that fire, Nero did decide it was a good time to build this palatial estate on top of the ashes of his burned city. Not a great look. I want us to highlight something about Nero and, the, and his character, that he did have his mother, his own mom, killed. Uh, that he... Uh, He's exiled, he banished his first wife on the grounds of infertility. And then because of this public outcry that, that started up, he brought her back only to accuse her of adultery and then have her executed for that instead. This is the kind of guy that Nero was. What it meant to get on his bad side meant danger for you. And Christians were already in this time on his bad side. And so when we talk about opposition to the faith, when we talk about resistance, when we talk about persecution of the faith, listen, church, like I'm trying to navigate between a couple of extremes right now, right? On the extreme of saying the Nero persecution, and there is still persecution in the world today. And also, not everything bad that happens to you, see the pizza roll illustration earlier, not everything bad that happens to you is persecution. I mean, some things that, that aren't persecution, right? If somebody sits you down and, and, and calls you out for some kind of a sin in your life, you're not being persecuted. In fact, just the opposite. They're trying to restore you to holiness and, and community, doing life together. That's not persecution. If you get arrested or tried for doing something illegally, especially in this country, this chances are it's not persecution. You know, with, with some time now and some hindsight, Tim Tebow probably getting traded from like every NFL team probably had more to do with him being a subpar starting quarterback than his like Tebowing before the games. Probably not persecution. But, but just because a lot of things aren't persecution doesn't mean that sort of stuff doesn't happen today. I was looking this stuff up uh, earlier this week and there's almost a quarter, there's over a quarter of a billion, 250, uh, 260 million people, Christians, in the world today who are living and practicing their faith in places where it's illegal. Over 3,000 Christians last year died because of their faith. Over 9,500 buildings were destroyed or severely damaged because they were Christian churches or buildings representing Christian organizations. Listen, we got to understand that this stuff, it is real today. The, the BBC... Not exactly a religious, let alone Christian organization. The BBC said, uh, it published an article in 2019 about Christian persecution. They said that it is, quote, nearing genocide levels. Like there are Christians that are persecuted today. And for me, I'm like, ah, you know, am I, am I even, am I praying for these people? Like, does it break my heart as much as it breaks God's heart. Because this letter in 1 Peter was written to a people. And it, when it lands, I mean, it hits differently than I think that it hits us, or I'll speak, it hits me today. I think if, if Peter is writing this letter today and he's saying, don't be surprised. Don't think that it's strange. He's writing to somebody in India and he says, you know, when they Hindu nationalists abduct your sister and carry her off, don't be surprised. I think Peter might have written to somebody in North Korea and says, when they wake you up in the middle of the night, 
after you've drifted off from being beaten unconscious, don't think that it's strange that this all happened because of your faith. Don't be surprised in Nigeria when Boko Haram comes after you and you have to flee for your life. Don't think that it's strange in Sri Lanka when somebody blows up your church and don't be surprised that that happened on an Easter Sunday morning. All of these events were true historical events. They happened within the last couple of years, Open Doors USA.org can give you a little bit more information about that. Don't think don't don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised when these things happen on account of faith. This persecution that lands on so many Christians, this opposition to the faith, it's it's real. But if we're talking about like this extreme ends, like chances are most of you watching this and listening, you're not going to be in that boat. I'm probably not going to be so much in that boat, at least not anytime today or, or sometime soon. Where we land is on, uh, is on this other side of starting to wonder and starting to kind of drift. Uh, not panicking w- when we're being, facing opposition for our faith, uh, panicking when we're not facing opposition. W- when there's no loss of position or power or provision, when there's no loss of some sort of sense of, of permanence in our life, because there's really, there's no opposition at all. I'll give you an example. Um, as, a, as a soccer dad, I've had uh, an opportunity now to, to take in quite a few games at a variety of different levels. And, uh, and I've noticed some things about some of the players and, and some of the opposing players uh, on the other team. And, and just kind of watching these people um, go about their games. Uh, some groups of people, um, soccer players, uh, when they're not playing, they're gathered uh, in a circle. And half of them in the circle have their backs to the game. They have no idea what's going on. The other half of the players that is at least facing game, they're not watching the game at all. They're, um, they're braiding, uh, braiding blades of grass next to the field. Now let me ask you something. The opposing team, when they look over and they see this circle of players or they see somebody like, like trying to, to play like the, the flippy bottle game and like land it on the, on the bench, do they think... Do they think that that is somebody worth paying attention to? Absolutely not. But there's like another class of player. There's a class of player who, when she's not on the field, when she's not playing, which is rare, she's like staring at everything happening on the field. She's, uh, she's yelling out plays and she's telling her, her teammates that they're out of position. She's heckling the refs as like an eight-year-old. I know, it's It's intense. You, you think the opposing team is, is taking note of that player? Absolutely. When she comes onto the field, she's double or even triple teamed at all times. Why? Because she's doing something worth resisting. There's pushing. When she comes onto the field, there's pushing and there's pulling. There might be a little bit of tripping involved there. there there's some kicking. Why? She's doing something worth resisting. When you experience that resistance, when you experience some of that opposition, do not be surprised. Do not think it's strange because Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. Expect it. Don't panic when you face that opposition or that resistance. Panic when you don't. But when you don't, Verse 13, when you don't, 
Rejoice, he says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And I just kind of wonder um, a couple of things. The first one is do we participate with the sufferings of Christ? Like if you had to identify or kind of call to, call to language some of, the, uh, some of the experience you have in following Christ. I mean, let alone the severe persecution kind of stuff that I mentioned earlier, but, but, but sometimes today, I mean, it might look like, it might look like uh, one of you watching this as a, as a young person experiencing uh, COVID, experiencing this sheltering, this shutdown, and the loneliness that comes along with that. And, and knowing that you, you, you sort of bring it on because you've made this commitment to say, I am, I'm not just going to date anybody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save out. I'm going to hold out to find somebody who shares the same faith convictions that I do. And so you've said no to a lot of people. And then this happens. And you're like, listen, I should have just said yes to somebody at least so I wouldn't be so alone. And I just want to say, don't be surprised don't think that it's strange. The resistance that you're experiencing, the, the feelings that you're experiencing, they're happening to you, not because you've done something wrong, but because you've done and are doing something right. Like I want to I talk to, to those of you, um, if you're in sales, and it is an industry norm in your world to over-promise and under-deliver. That's what everybody just does does instinctively and because of your christian conviction you have decided i'm not going to do that that's not going to be part of my business practices i'm going to uh, i'm going to live a professional life that's full of honesty and that's full of integrity and you have watched as clients have signed with competitors because of what they're promising and you haven't like seen the payback to that at all don't be surprised don't think that it's strange what's happening to you isn't because you've done something wrong you've done something right those of you seeking a job right now and there's a lot of you and you didn't get an interview because you didn't embellish on your resume and you didn't claim to have work experience that you didn't have and don't think that it's a surprise don't think that it's strange you're doing something right you're doing something worth resisting but peter also says rejoice like rejoice in these sufferings how can i how can i rejoice what sense does that make I'll tell you about something. I don't default towards rejoicing in resistance or re rejoicing in sufferings. That's not my default. Uh, my default is towards a life of ease and comfort. Like, that's where I would want to go. And I can see that in me, and maybe you can relate in a number of different ways. In my life of generosity, I, I, I default towards generosity that looks a little bit more like tipping than it does sacrificial living. 
In my prayer life, I find myself faulting towards ease and comfort, asking God for the things that I need or maybe want, rather than a prayer life that is fully surrendered to God. Maybe you can relate. Attending worship, watching church online, kind of cautious about digging in, cautious about joining a community, one of those small groups, even if it's over Zoom. Like, I don't know, I'd have to really put myself out there. I'm not super comfortable with that. Rejoicing in sufferings? I I, I can't quite get there. My default is a life of ease and comfort. Rejoice. I tell you, I tell you like this. Uh, several years ago, my wife had a uh, a shoulder injury that may or may not have had something to do with the racquetball court here at the Kentwood location. And it wasn't, it wasn't awful, you know, nothing too much was done about it. But it was this, this nagging kind of pain that wouldn't go away. And, and there was some mobility restrictions, you know. And so it's been several years, but she decides, we decide, um, it's time to maybe do something about that. Go in and, and see somebody. This, this arm, at times, it's, it's really, it's uncomfortable. And so I'd like the mobility back. I'd like the pain to go away. I'd like to return to a life of ease and comfort. And the strangest thing happens. She shows up to this specific kind of doctor. It's a, it's a PT, which stands, of course, for pain and torture. <laughs> Not not really, in case you have an appointment, first time coming up, but those of you who are physical therapists, you do know what I'm talking about. She shows up to the uh, physical therapist's office uh, and presents the issues. You know, shoulder is sore. Sometimes it hurts more than others, limited mobility. And what do they do? You know, it's, it's so interesting to me. They send her home with this piece of, like, stretchy plastic, And says, here's what you do. Um, Because your shoulder is sore, uh, because you have limited mobility, uh, we're going to have you move it several times a day. We're going to have you not only move it, but also we're going to put resistance on that shoulder. And so it's it's actually going to hurt even more than than usual. And once or twice a week, we're going to have you come in and we're going to kind of wrench around with it for a little while. And that's going to be really uncomfortable for you. It's, It's so strange to me, this concept from a physical therapist, and some of you have, have been in that boat where you've practiced this weeks, months, sometimes even years, and seeing a little progress along the way, and sometimes it's all of a sudden, other times it's a little bit of progress over a long period of time, and then it's all of a sudden like, hey, hey, wait a second, like, I, I've got my mobility back, like, I, I've got this comfort back, the pain has gone away. This strange thing, a TheraBand, resistance band, I mean, whatever you call it, it helped. I want you to consider something with me, church. Is it possible that Jesus, as the great physician, the great physical therapist, has prescribed to you the exact amount of resistance that is required not to tear you down, but to build you up. Or, or maybe I, I, I could say to lift you up. Because that's, that's what Peter says. 
Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, in the next chapter, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As cast. It's a, it's a fishing term. Uh, cast. Throw it out there. Hurl it out there, in fact. Cast it out there. Send it, send it on, on into the sea. Peter, Peter understood the images. As a fisherman, he got the picture that he was calling to mind. Cast all of these anxieties on him, for he cares for you. You know, when opposition comes, when this resistance sets in, and you're wondering, did I do something wrong? No, 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 you did something right. Cast it on him. You know, what happens, what happens for me? I don't have a problem like going to God in prayer during those seasons of worry or seasons of anxiety. And I don't have a problem going to, to God in prayer over those things. I have a problem surrendering those things to God. Like, I'll pray about them. You know, I'll cast, cast, cast. You know, it's yours, God. It's out there. And then as soon as I say amen, it's like I go into the water and I scoop up what I had just cast and I'll take it back to myself and I'll carry it on. And what I'm doing is, is maintaining that I am responsible for this yet. I've, I've cast it on you, but then I take it back to me and, and I'm going to be the responsible for the outcome of, of making sure that, that the outcome that takes place is the outcome that I had predetermined that I want to happen. And what makes matters even worse is that he starts that as saying, humble yourselves, the first word. It's like there's this sense of, of, of pride. And if you think about it, how arrogant is it to, to cast something to God, surrender it up to him, and then when you say amen, say, yeah, but I don't think you're actually that big enough. Like, I don't think you're actually as, as big or as, as capable as I am. And so I'll take that thing on back to myself. And I'll deny him the exercise of what Peter calls his mighty hand. A practice that I've been trying to, trying to end with isn't just amen, but after amen, just kind of looking up and saying, okay, I'm trusting you with this. I'm trusting you with the outcome of this. I've cast it. I've hurled it. It's now your responsibility, not mine. Have we experience much resistance? Much opposition to you? Earlier on in the series, I shared this story of how, uh, against all odds, I was hired on as a server at a steakhouse in Grand Rapids. And it was against all odds is because I, I told the hiring manager, a guy that I worked for, that I, I had a lot of commitments to my church at the time and I wasn't available to work on Sundays, like any Sundays. And he said, there's no way that I can do that. He heard that I was going into the ministry, you know, studying to, to become a pastor. And he said, okay, that changes, that changes everything because what I've learned about pastors, future pastors that, that work for me is that 
is that they show up on time, they work hard, and most importantly, they stay out of my booze. As a follow-up to that story, I did those three things. I showed up on time, I worked as hard as I could at least, and I, I know that I certainly stayed out of his, his booze as well. I, I pulled through. And I, and I worked for the guy for almost a year before he comes up to me kind of passing in the hallway and he says, hey, listen, I know that we kind of have this agreement, but uh, a week and a half from now, coming up on Mother's Day, it is the biggest day of the year. Mother's Day isn't just any day. Mother's Day is the day. And so I need you, I'm going to put you on the schedule, I need you to show up. And I said, listen, I, Mother's Day is, is also a Sunday. There's also church. I also have some commitments going on. I'm telling you, what we had talked about previously, nothing has changed for me. That still stands. And he, he was frustrated. In fact, he got a little agitated with me as we were passing each other in the hallway. A little bit later on that day, he says, I want you to come meet me meet me in this back banquet area, this room that we almost never used. And I figured I was in trouble. And I show up, and it's him. He's already sitting down. He says, have a seat. And just this somber look on his face. And he kind of recounts everything that happened. I said, yeah, that's, that's the way it is. That's the deal. And he looks at me exactly as if he's just about to say, that's why you don't work here anymore. What do you think happens as a result of just trying to, to maintain a stance on those convictions that I have to, had to follow Jesus? You think he lets me go? He lets me keep my job? This will infuriate many of you, I know, but I'm actually not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you for, for a couple of reasons. The, the first one, I'm not going to tell you what happens because, well, for whatever the outcome was, it could have gone either way. I could have told a story, a dozen stories on either side with the opposite outcome and, and vice versa. But mostly I'm not going to tell you what happens because the outcome isn't the most important part of that sort. The outcome isn't the most important part of our decisions. Jesus did not ask for us to own the outcome. He asked simply for our obedience. The obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is God's. When you show up, and when you give sacrificially, and when you live wholeheartedly out of love, not just for people that you like, but more importantly, for people that you do not like, and you experience resistance and opposition, and it becomes very, very difficult for you to follow Jesus. Remember, the outcome is not your responsibility. Simply to say yes to Jesus and be obedient in the near term, that's what's up to you. Don't be surprised when you face opposition. Don't, don't think it strange when you face resistance for following Jesus. Is it possible that he has the exact prescription for the right amount of resistance to offer you? And your only responsibility is obedience. And he will handle the outcome. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, somebody is facing right now a difficult decision and they're trying to live sacrificially. They're trying to live on mission with you. 
Spirit, I ask that you, that you provide for them the courage to follow through on this godly conviction that you have placed in their hearts. God, I pray for the, for the person who's not experiencing resistance, who's not experiencing opposition. I pray for the person who's wondering if they're even doing anything worth resisting from the enemy. And Spirit, I pray that you would invade that heart as well and that you would provide this holy restlessness that chases after you and pursues you and and might even live a little more dangerously in this world because of you. After all, this is not our home. We're not tourists passing through. We're not immigrants making it our home. God, we're exiles. We belong to another kingdom. We belong to your kingdom, not this world. We're here for an undefined amount of time, but we belong to a kingdom, Jesus, that's yours, a kingdom where we return hate with love, a kingdom where we return a slap on the cheek with a turning to the other one, where when somebody, a kingdom where where somebody asks us for a shirt off from our back, we turn and we give them our jacket as well. God, Peter, he tells us that's the kingdom to which we belong. Yours is the one to whom we belong. Bless us with obedience this week.